Good morning. Glad to have you with us here this morning. For our Sunday morning class here at Midway. Let's see. All right. So as you'll see on the the slides, uh, we'll be in Genesis chapter 25 this morning. Uh, If you have one of the the class books, I know I never follow these very closely, but the subject material um, is in chapter 8 on page 47. Uh, So we're going to be basing our lesson off of uh, lesson eight, what profit shall this birthright do to me? And the text there comes out of Genesis chapter 25, which is where we'll be this morning. So let's go ahead and... Oh yeah, if you need a book, anyone need a book? Raise your hand. Looks like we're, we got one. Okay. Thank you, Paul. All right. So if you turn your Bibles over to uh, Genesis chapter 25, we're going to start by reading the relevant passage here, verses 27 through 34. Uh, Genesis 25, 27 through 34. And I am in the New American Standard. So let's begin. Now, we're talking about uh, Jacob and Esau here, by the way. So... When we, when we reference the boys here, when we reference these, these two brothers, it's, it's Jacob and Esau we're talking about. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a peaceful man, living in tents. Now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. When Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, Please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, for I am famished. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, First, sell me your birthright. Esau said, Behold, I am about to die. So of what use then is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, First, swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. All right, so that's going to be our main text this morning. Uh, before we get into, the, into looking at the text further, I want to share a story with you guys that might help illustrate some of what we're talking about this morning. Uh, the fellow here on the screen is Mr. Wong Kim Ark. Now, Mr. Wong uh, was born in San Francisco in 1873. Um, very different world back then. Um, but he was the son of Chinese immigrants, as I said, born in San Francisco. Uh, worked in the restaurant industry, from what I understand. Um, whew, move up a little bit. So um, after Mr. Wong had, had come to adulthood, he went with his family on a trip to China. His, his parents were from China, so they were, they were visiting for a time. Um, but at this time in America, there was, uh, there was a law prohibiting Chinese immigrants from coming into the country. There was a law that prohibited uh, Chinese people from becoming U.S. citizens. They couldn't apply for citizenship. So like, for example, his parents came to America during this time. They weren't U.S. citizens. They were Chinese citizens living in the U.S. Uh, but, but Mr. Wong was born 
as I said, in San Francisco. He grew up there. Uh, he had never been to China until he had become a teenager. And so when Mr. Wong came back to the U.S. after his trip, he was denied entry. He was stuck at the port in San Francisco. And he spent several months on ships because he, wouldn't, he was not going to be allowed into the, the country. Well, what's the issue? And the issue was he was coming from China. He was ethnically Chinese. And so when he got to the port, they said, you can't come in because we're not accepting Chinese immigrants. Right? We won't let you in. So of course, there's an issue here because Mr. Wong was not born in China. It just happened to be part of his background. And so this went to court. Because, uh, I mean, he wants to get home, right? His, his house is here, his business is here, his job is here. So it goes to court, and after several years, it reaches the Supreme Court, the question of, is Mr. Wong a Chinese citizen or an American citizen? And what the Supreme Court ruled was that he was a U.S. citizen because he had been born in the U.S. He, he grew up here. And this was one of the major early, relatively early, Supreme Court cases about the question of citizenship in the U.S. being a birthright, right? That is something that is given to you based on your birth, not based on merit. Uh, he had done nothing to earn his citizenship. It was given to him because of his birth, right? And so this question was, you know, obviously a big issue. Um, and, you know, if you watch the news, I'm, I'm sorry if you do, but it still becomes an issue today. There are still hot, hotly debated um, conversations about, about citizenship being a birthright. But in this situation, the court ruled that his citizenship was given to him at birth. He was a U.S. citizen, so he was allowed to enter the country, and he was go back, allowed to go back to his home and to his business. So I want to use that to kind of illustrate a little bit this idea of a birthright. Because I think first what we want to do is we want to make sure we understand what we're talking about, looking back at the text. To understand what Esau did by selling his birthright, we need to understand and appreciate what a birthright is. So, so what is a birthright? Let's turn over to Deuteronomy. We're going to get uh, the biblical perspective. Now keep in mind, contextually, um, Jacob and Esau is happening in the patriarchal age. But we're, we're moving into the, the Mosaic law here, talking in Deuteronomy, but I think it at least gives you an idea of, of the, uh, the, the concept behind the birthright. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 21, we're going to read verses 15 through 17. Uh, it says here, If a man has two wives, the one loved and the other unloved, and both the loved and the unloved have borne him sons, if the firstborn son belongs to the unloved, then it shall be in the day he wills what he has to his sons. He cannot make the son of the loved the firstborn before the son of the unloved, who is the firstborn. But he shall acknowledge the firstborn, the son of the unloved, by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the beginning of his strength. To him belongs the right of the firstborn. And we're going to read a couple more uh, verses here in a second just to give some more context. But the idea is that the, the male who was born into the family first had special um, rights, the birthright. Uh, that included a, a double uh, portion of the inheritance. Um, you also see, especially in this patriarchal age, that the firstborn becomes the leader of the family, right? As the father passes away, he passes on the blessing to the firstborn son who takes up that mantle of the leader of the family. Um, there's even, obviously, religious aspects to this, especially in the patriarchal age. 
you know, interacting with God. And so this is a big deal. This, this birthright is a big deal. Uh, let's go ahead and, and move on to Numbers. Numbers chapter 3. Numbers chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 12 and 13. Uh, all right, so the Lord spoke to Moses. Now behold, I have taken the Levites from among the sons of Israel instead of every firstborn, the first issue of the womb among the sons of Israel, so the Levites shall be mine. For all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel, from man to beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. And so you think, again, just, just this idea of first, right? The, the firstborn of the family, the plagues of Egypt, right? Who were, the, who were killed from the Egyptians? The firstborn, right? The first in the line. And by implication, the firstborn of the Jews was saved by God, right? Because, the, because they were not killed. And so there's this special emphasis placed on the firstborn from God's perspective. Uh, one more passage. I'm going to go to, uh, let's see here. Go to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 21. And I'm just going to read verse 3. Um... Their father gave them many gifts of silver, gold, and precious things with fortified cities in Judah, but he gave the kingdom to Jehoram because he was the firstborn. So again, this idea that the firstborn gets the majority of the inheritance. The firstborn gets the responsibility of the family. Uh, it's a very big deal. And so I want to pose this question before we get too much further. Why? Why did Esau trade his birthright for food? If, if we understand that, at least in some way, what Esau stood to gain was this inheritance, leadership over the family, we'll see later lordship over his brother, um, vast uh, wealth from his father, and a religious relationship with God that not everyone had, why did he trade it away? And that's a discussion question, so you guys got to answer. Short-sighted, uh, could you elaborate? Okay. Okay, so he had an immediate need. He was short-sighted, and he was looking only at his immediate need to instant gratification, right, um, of hunger. Okay. Any other comments? Oh, certainly, Jacob was no innocent party in all of this either. And we see that again later. Yeah, he, that's a good point. He didn't appreciate it. It's, it's obvious by reading the text, he did not realize what he had, right? If he really appreciated what he had, then he wouldn't be selling it for food. I think we can all probably agree that he's exaggerating in the text, right? Where he thinks he's about to die because he's famished. Um, so yeah, he, he doesn't seem to appreciate what he has, and that, therefore he's willing to trade it away. Think about, moving to the New Testament real quick, the prodigal son. Right? What was his perspective on his inheritance? Give it to me now, and why? 
Yeah, because I want to spend it. I want to get instant gratification, right? I want short-term benefits. I don't want to wait for what's there for me later. I want to go ahead and enjoy myself now. I want to go ahead and get these physical needs met or these physical desires met now, and I'm willing to trade away my future to do that. Okay? Yeah, and you see parallels, right? You see parallels between the prodigal son and uh, Jacob and Esau. I think that, that I think are kind of interesting, especially considering what we're, what we're going to, what we're moving toward, right? Because we're moving towards some application here in a little while. Yes. Okay. Right. Right, I mean, it's certainly possible. We're not given the entire lifetime of all these people in the Bible. We don't know every conversation they had. So it's quite possible that there had been arguments growing up, perhaps, about you know, who deserved the birthright. Because, like you said, their births were not that different, right? One came before the other, but just barely. And we also see there's a family dynamic going on, too, some favoritism going on. And so I imagine that also resulted in some conflict um, that led to this situation. And, and uh, Brother Brownlow takes some time in his lesson, if you look um, in the book, to talk about favoritism in the family and how that impacts people and how that leads to things like this. Okay. So let's move on to Genesis chapter 27 because now we're going to look at the consequences of his choices. All right, Genesis chapter 27. I'm going to start in verse... 30. Now, for context here, um, Isaac is, you know, getting up in his years. Um, he wants to provide the, the blessing uh, from the father to Esau. But we know that Jacob came in, and okay, the word might be stole, but in a sense, he'd already been given it to him. So it's kind of an interesting interaction here, too, where between Jacob and Esau, it was Jacob's, but perhaps Isaac didn't know that. Anyway, uh, so Jacob was left, starting in verse 30. Now it came about, as soon as, Jake, or as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. Then he also made savory food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and, and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. Isaac his father said to him, Who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate of all of it before you came and blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, uh, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Then he said, Is he not rightly named Jacob, for he has supplanted me these two times? He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? But Isaac replied to Esau, Behold, I have made him your master, and all his relatives I have given to him as servants. 
and with grain and new wine I have sustained him. Now as for you then, what can I do, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. So Esau lifted his voice and wept. Now Isaac uh, continues to speak, and then you kind of see the aftermath of, of what Esau, how Esau reacts to the situation. Um, but you see there's a little bit of blaming going on too, because Esau understands he, he had that stew, right? He got what he wanted. Um, and then when he's come to actually get the blessing, well, there's no more blessing to give. The blessing's already been given away. And so he attempted to claim his birthright, but it had already been given to Jacob. And as we see here, there was nothing left to give. Now, we see a reference made to Esau in the New Testament. If we go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I want to read verses uh, 14 through 17. Uh, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he, despi- or when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. So what is his situation? How, how is his situation described in the New Testament context? Or the New Testament perspective? He would have done it again. Hmm? He just didn't have the spiritualness. He would have sold it again for something else. Okay. You think that he... Yeah, so you think that he would have done it all over again the same way? Okay. What other comments? I feel like this has been kind of quiet this morning. I mean, we know, we know he had regret, right? We know he regretted his decision after the fact. Right. Right, yeah, he, he didn't seem to value it. He didn't think about what he was doing. He was living in the moment, and by the time he realized what he had done, what? It was too late, right? And it's... Okay, see where we're going with this, yeah. Yeah, so we see, I like the word choice here, at least in the American, or New American Standard, there was no place for repentance. Does that ring a bell to any of us? That the blessing had already been given? He had no more opportunity for repentance, even though he sought it with tears? Do we see anything like that in the New Testament, perhaps in the Gospel accounts? Yeah, foolish virgins, that's a good example, right? By the time that they wanted to enter in, it was too late. 
And so I think we can learn some things from Esau's failings that we can apply to our own lives. And ultimately, that's what we want to do, right? Is find a way to understand these Old Testament stories, these Old Testament events, and figure out how does this impact me on a spiritual day-to-day basis? How can I learn from this in some way? So let's go talk about Jesus for a minute, moving to the New Testament. Jesus, the firstborn. Let's turn over to Romans. Romans chapter 8. I want to read verse 29. Let's see. Here we go. Uh, For those whom he foreknew, he being God, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Okay? So we see Christ being called a firstborn in uh, in this section, this passage here. Let's also go to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 15 through 18. Again, we're talking about Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. All right? So again, we see this this firstborn uh, concept being applied to Christ. Uh, Who is Christ the firstborn of? God, right? Christ is the Son of God. And what's interesting, when you compare Christ, because by implication, if he's the firstborn, he has what? Hmm? He has the birthright, right? He has the birthright if he's the firstborn. So compare Jesus to Esau. And compare Jesus' birthright to Esau's. Because I think, uh, I might be moving into speculation a little bit here, but in this Colossians passage, I I think kind of what we're seeing here is the birthright being described, right? Christ's birthright. Of, of being over all creation and all this stuff, I think that is the birthright that we see given to Christ by virtue of being the firstborn. But how did he value his birthright? Well, you look over in Luke 4, I'm not going to read the entire thing, but we're familiar with the passage. Jesus was tempted to trade his birthright, right? Just as Esau was. And over the course of his ministry, he was tempted to trade his birthright. And when he was in the garden, he was tempted to trade his birthright. He had so many opportunities to trade away his birthright for whatever he wanted, really, anything. But what's the difference between Jesus and Esau? He didn't do it, right? He didn't trade his birthright. He held on to it. He fought for it. Um, So when we talk about Christ being the firstborn of many then, who were the many? Christians? If, by, by implication here, if Christ is the firstborn of many, then we, that means that Christ has siblings, right? Just as Esau had a sibling, uh, Christ, by implication, if he's the firstborn of many, then there must be many siblings. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 12, and we'll hear from, from Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 12, verses 48 through 50. 
Uh, let's see, 48 through 50. Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Behold my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. So then, who are the siblings in this sense of Christ? Those who do the will of the Father, right? So Christ is the firstborn of those who would follow after God, those who would obey God. So then, what does this mean for us? We're not the firstborn, right? Christ, Christ is the firstborn. We are the joint heirs, right? Um, if you look in Galatians uh, chapter 4, and there are, there are other passages uh, in addition to these. If anyone wants to bring them up, uh, go ahead. I just wanted to get a couple just to kind of illustrate. Uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 5. Uh, it says that he might redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Romans 8.15 also mentions a similar idea. Romans 8.15, For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And as was mentioned, this idea of being joint heirs. So Christ has the birthright, but not only... Did he not sell it or give it away? Uh, what does he do with his birthright? He died. Sorry? He died, he died for us, right? And I think, and I struggled a little bit on, on the best way to kind of conceptualize this or phrase it. But somewhere between he shares it with us or he's given it to us, I think is maybe a way to look at it. Gives us right, he gives us that opportunity to inherit the blessing. Right? Because ultimately that's what the birthright is. It's the blessing of the Father. So if Christ is the firstborn of the Father, God, then the blessing comes from God, a blessing that we are not entitled to, right? Because we're not the firstborn. We don't have the birthright. We have to get it some other way. And if we're going to receive blessing from the Father, we can't steal it like Jacob did. But Christ willingly blesses us. He willingly surrendered to the Father's will. And now we have an option at that inheritance, right? So, and the fact that he was carrying it with, with, with us, our, with our right. I, I think that's probably the better way that I would phrase it is, is sharing more so than giving it to us. Because I think there are things you read that Christ has as birthright. He can't, be taken away. he can't, yeah, exactly. Can't be taken away. It's part of his nature, and we couldn't do anything with it either. Like, you don't want me being the firstborn of all creation, trust me. Um, but I do think we see this idea that Jesus is sharing that blessing, sharing the blessing of that birthright of God with us. And how does that manifest itself? In him. Ephesians 1, all spiritual blessings are in him. That's true. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think we're, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so it's becoming, coming into the family of God, right? This is available to us, even though we might be outside at some point. 
we can access it through Christ, and Christ welcomes us in. And then we become those siblings, those joint heirs uh, of the promise, of the blessing. Right. I mean, Isaac is, is old at this, at this point, right? He wants to provide his blessing, and what happens? He's given grief, right? He experiences sadness and grief because... Yeah, think about, think about in your own family, right? If you have someone who has a prized possession that they want to pass on to you, right? That means something to them, too right? It's not just about what you're getting. It's about what they're giving, right? What they have a perspective. And sometimes maybe you might not like what they're going to, to pass down to you, or maybe you don't have a use for it, or maybe you're not sure what to do with it. But there's also meaning on their end of them having passed it down. Not to say that, that we don't value the blessings that God gives us and that Christ gives us, but just to reiterate the point that and God has agency in this, and God has a perspective in this. And I think it's valid to say that God has um, feelings. I mean, God experiences sorrow, right? God experiences disappointment. And if we reject his blessing, if we reject that inheritance that came at such a cost, how do you think God feels about that? You know? Because again, what we're talking about is trading that for something that is far less valuable. And that's what I want to kind of wrap up with this morning. We have a few minutes, so hopefully we can get into some more discussion. Uh, if we have joint inheritance, then that means we have an opportunity to give up our portion of that birthright. And so now put yourself in Esau's shoes from a spiritual perspective. Are we ever offered anything in exchange for our birthright? Send for a season. Mm-hmm. Right. Worldly pleasures, sin, uh, temporary things, just as Jesus was offered, that we could enjoy for the moment, but they come at what kind of cost? Yeah, being lost, losing the blessing, right? Go back and look at Hebrews and see the parallels again. What happened with Esau when it came time to get his blessing? It wasn't there, right? Exactly. He had no more room for repentance because he had lost his opportunity, because he traded it away. And I think it's important to emphasize as well, again, talking about agency, yes, Jacob deceived him, but he had a choice to make. He had the birthright. It was his to trade away. And he's the one who chose to value a, a worldly benefit, a, a worldly pleasure over uh, the blessing that he was to be given. And so then we see the sorrow he experiences and the regret that he experiences when it's too late for him to change his mind because it's already been done. And there's no more blessing for him to get. We're warned, take heed lest you fall. What did Esau do? He was buttered up his daddy. Mm-hmm. He's still bringing 
Yeah, I mean, he, he had this in his mind that, he, that whatever he had done, he was going to somehow get out of it, right? That he was going to be able to, to still make it work out. And, and we see that it didn't happen. Uh, and you think about the line to Jesus, right? What did Esau do? Not only did he give up a worldly inheritance, he gave up his place, right? Not only in the family, but in the lineage, it's a big deal. Because now we sing about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We don't sing about Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Right? Because he gave it up. Alright. What other comments? Or any questions? Or disagreements? We just have to be careful as we follow. And I don't want to I don't want this to really end on a, on a negative note. Right, because the, the nice thing is we have a choice to make. And we have a great inheritance waiting for us. It's something that we should value, unlike Esau, who didn't value his. Um, and ours is so much better than his. And so the nice thing is it's been granted to us. And we have to do comparatively little compared to, uh, to Christ um, for that birthright. And so... When you think about holding on to it in that perspective, uh, everything else seems sort of trivial. Other comments or questions? Right. Yeah, it's that, that idea of, of, of having the right perspective, right? Of, of not giving into the moment, but having that, that far perspective, understanding in the long run. If you, if you do look back at, at Matthew 12, um, at least in uh, the translation that I'm using, uh, he specifically does mention, or at least the text mentions, his disciples. And when you think about the word disciple, uh, what, what is uh, kind of built out of that word discipline? That's part of it, is having discipline, having that discipline to, to not give away your inheritance, not give away something that means so much and that came at such a cost. Anyone else? Yeah, that, that inheritance, that birthright, I think has a lot of spiritual parallels um, that, that we enjoy today. And again, all the more important, right? Because it's not a physical inheritance, it's a spiritual one. Yeah, I wonder how... Yeah, I wonder how often Esau had been tempted to sell his birthright. Was this the first time? I'm not sure if it was, you know? Perhaps he had contemplated it before. Right. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so it's 
possible that he didn't even really think it would would happen. He didn't he didn't take it seriously what he said. Okay, that's a good point too. No, I had thought about that. Yeah, uh, yeah, brothers are brothers, right? Mm-hmm. Jealousy. Yeah, envy. <laughs> yeah, number one grandchild might be worse than number one child at that point in terms of getting spoiled. All right. Well, thank you guys for your attention this morning and for your comments. I hope that it was you know, maybe a little basic, but I hope it was instructional. I hope that, that you see the, the connections here because I think that's really what makes these Old Testament accounts and these, this history come alive is understanding the parallels uh, to the New Testament and therefore the parallels to our lives and how we can kind of learn from all of these issues and all these experiences. So again, thank you for your attention this morning. We'll, we'll dismiss.